So for this morning, we are going to pursue this theme of faithfulness, and we're going to do so through a, a thought we're calling gospel life. Gospel life, okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there, and we'll be there shortly. We're going to read the whole chapter, 18 verses. Um, but for me, this kind of flowed out of my devotional life about two weeks ago. And so I want to, uh, to share some of this with you here this morning. Gospel life is what we're going to talk about. So as we get started, I always need your help, all right? So have you ever seen those t-shirts or coffee mug or bumper sticker that says something, and by something I mean there's a blank or a word there, something is life? Anybody have one of those coffee mugs or t-shirts or bumper stickers? Like sometimes you'll see it and it'll say music is life. Or I've seen one that said, um, gardening is life. Right? You know what I'm talking about now? Okay, so help me out here. If you could fill in the blank, what would be the word that you would put before is life? Jesus is life. Family is life. Ma'am? Blessing is life. Good. Somebody else? This is life. When I think about what really matters the most about life, this is it. This is life. Anybody? I know we're in church and you're thinking deep theologically and you're trying to come up with something that's all-encompassing. Anything for you, when you think about what I do Monday through Saturday or Sunday through Saturday, this is what my life, this is what I love to do. This is life for me. Oh, Ma'am, the gospel, all right? You're beating me to the punchline, all right? That's where we're going to go here in just a minute. That's exactly right. But for me, I had a t-shirt that said, the gospel is life, not gospel, Miss Regina. Basketball is life is what my shirt said. <laughs> Basketball is life. And I had that in high school, and I wore it out, literally. Like the sleeves were all frayed on it. It was just nasty looking because I wore it all the time. It was my favorite shirt. And for me, that was truth. That's how I lived life. And so when I went to school, I had a textbook open, but I always had a magazine like a Sports Illustrated or I had a basketball and I said magazine, your eyes were like, what? I had an encyclopedia, basketball encyclopedia or something. I was always studying the game of basketball. And so you're sitting in class or I'm daydreaming about it. We've got these six guys coming over after school and we're going to play basketball. And I'll be able to play till this time, then I've got to go do something, I can come back and I can play basketball. And so that was life for me. I wanted to spend my life playing basketball, and I thought that was a good way to invest my life. I thought that would be a good, productive way to be um, not necessarily a God-honoring citizen, but maybe just to use some of the gifts the Lord had blessed me with. And so I thought, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend my life playing basketball. Now, thankfully... Somewhere along the way, and it was about my, maybe my sophomore year of college, the Lord started redirecting my heart and telling me that there's more to life than basketball. And if you would have told me that when I was 18, I would have thought you were crazy. I thought anybody that didn't play basketball didn't understand life. You know, you kind of settled for a lesser way of living because this is the ultimate way to do life. I really thought that. And so God had helped me see that I was a little bit closed-minded. I was off base a little bit, right? And so he started to help me understand there's more to life than just playing a game. Nothing wrong with the game of basketball. It's just not life. 
And so when we say something is life, we're saying that it's all-encompassing. It's what wakes me up. It's why I breathe. It's why I'm here. And so today, hopefully what we're going to see is that the gospel is life. And the gospel is going to help do a few things. It defines who we are. It defines what we do. defines why we're here. All right? Or why I do what I do. And so who we are, what we're going to do, and why we do it are some of the things we're going to pursue from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, this kind of closing portion of this letter to these group of believers. And so if you've got your Bible, let's turn there. You can follow along as I read. If you don't have a Bible, the text is on the wall. You can progress with me as we make our way through this morning. Second Thessalonians 3. The author of this letter is a man by the name of Paul. Rather, the author of this letter is God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired a man named Paul to write down this truth for us so that we would have it here today. And so Paul's going to conclude this letter by giving them some words of advice as it relates to the gospel life. He's going to talk about faithfulness. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about persevering in the face of opposition. All right? So we'll work our way through this text here this morning. So follow along with me. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and, and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But we worked with labor and toil night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you. We commanded you this. If anyone will not work. Neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and they eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So this morning I want to work through this as it relates to what we're talking about today. Being faithful. Being faithful. And we want to be faithful in how we live. And so we're going to talk about living a gospel life. Or the gospel is life. And so a few things we'll note today. If you'd like to follow along, you can uh, on your bulletin. If you'd like to fill in, you can. You don't have to at all. You don't turn those in for a grade. That's totally for you to stick in your Bible or maybe to keep a note if God prods your heart. So I want to encourage you to utilize that, utilize that as you'd like. All right, so here we go. Number one, a gospel life is going to understand the importance of partnering in prayer. A gospel life is going to understand the importance of partnering with someone in prayer. So when you think of prayer, we talked about it a little bit already. I talk to God and God listens. God talks to me and 
and I listen, is there any other way you would define prayer? Like, what would you say prayer is? Ma'am? It's talking to God. Good. It's real simple. Talking to God. Anybody else? When you think of prayer, like if... I know what prayer is. Prayer is what? It's communicating. And so you feel like you have an understanding of what prayer is? I think that's important if we're going to progress through this text here today. And so it's talking to God or it's having this conversation with God. And what the Bible tells us is when we speak, God has promised to listen. He hears us. And that's all throughout the text. You'll find God is willing to listen to those who pray. And so God's going to speak to us through his word and the power of his spirit. And then we're going to speak back to him in conversation. Now, there's a lot of things about prayer that are a mystery to us. Some things we don't understand you know, is it I pray three times and then it, get, it gets answered? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, we probably think it would. God would say, no, that's a nightmare. Or you just pray this prayer all day and then it's going to happen the next day. Kind of like rubbing the lamp so the genie comes out and he has to supply my wish. That's kind of how some people view prayer, but that's not how the Bible describes prayer. And so there's some things about it that are a mystery. Sometimes you pray for a person to hear the truth and be saved, and they get saved within a few months. Sometimes you pray that for 40 or 50 years. Okay? There's a mystery. And so there's more to it that uh, you and I can't understand or that I, can't, I certainly can't unpack for you here. But there are some things that we can know. And one is what it is. So it's this conversation with God. And we also know that we should participate in it. So did anybody walk in today not knowing that prayer is something that we should be doing? I mean, is this brand new news to anybody? You're just not blown. I didn't see anybody writing down, oh, start praying. It's just like this. It's not this brand new thought to you, okay? So, that's good. Because what this says is a gospel life isn't just understanding prayer. A gospel life understands the importance of partnering. And that's a big difference. I can know what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. It's me talking with God. It's this two-way street. He talks, I listen. I talk, he listens. It's a mystery. We can know some things about it, but that doesn't mean that we're participating in it in the way the gospel is intended. So to live a gospel life is going to require us to understand the importance of partnering together in prayer. And so let's look at Paul here, and he understands this. He says, For as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. So when you think of Paul, I mean, it was Paul thought of himself as the worst of all sinners. Okay? And maybe people in his day didn't think that he was the greatest guy ever either. But when we think about Paul today, we put him up pretty high, don't we? And we think Paul was like one of the greatest missionaries ever. And so if we think of him as the greatest missionary ever, what's the greatest missionary ever asking other believers to do for him? To pray for him. See, Paul had not arrived to a point where he didn't need the prayer of people. You know, God in his limitless power predetermined that he would act and move when his people prayed. That's why he says sometimes you don't have because you don't what? Because you don't ask. And so he's predetermined with his limitless power that when we pray or ask, then he's willing to work or move. And so Paul understood the importance of partnering with others in prayer. And he's going to ask them to pray about the gospel. Before we get into that, though, let me just ask you a question. 
How long has it been since you personally asked somebody to pray for you? You looked at a person, you wrote a letter to a person, and it says, I'm going to pray for you, or will you pray for me? Has it been a while? How many of you pray? Okay, so we're praying people. I love that. and we're, we're known to be a praying people, and that's fantastic. But are we partnered with one another in prayer? And Paul was talking here about not just praying for, but the idea of praying with. Partnering with somebody in prayer. Why is it that we don't ask for prayer? Anybody, uh, and you probably wouldn't say this of yourself, I'll say it of me. Anybody too proud to ask sometimes? I'm proud to ask. Like sometimes I don't want people to know. I don't, know what, I don't want you to know what I'm struggling with. I don't want you to know that I'm really that weak. I don't really want you to know that I'm not super pastored. Like in some way if I tell you that I'm struggling or that I'm down, that you're going to be like, oh man, he's just the worst pastor. Like I'm just going to totally ruin my image. Sometimes I'm just proud. I think some reasons sometimes we don't ask for prayers because we're too proud to ask. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want them to think less of me. You know, the Bible talks a lot about God's blessing on those who are proud or humble. Humble. And so God will humble the proud, but he'll exalt the humble. Right? Proverbs talks about the humble person. Uh, the Beatitudes talk about us being this poor in spirit, having this attitude of meekness, just being humble, displaying humility. And so when I ask you, will you pray for me, that's humbling. And that can be hard because I'm now acknowledging to you that I've got a problem. That I need some help. And that I need you to intercede or pray on my behalf because I'm really struggling. I think sometimes we won't ask one another to pray for me personally. It's simply because we're a little bit too proud. A good dose of humility goes a long way. And so I want to encourage you, if you find yourself today a little bit too proud, just take the risk. Take the step. Oh, they may think differently of me. Okay, maybe they will. And maybe they'll go pray for you. And so what's better for you, that they pray for you or that they think different of you? It's better for you that they'll go pray for you. And it's better that you'll go pray for me and that I'll go pray for you as well. So don't be afraid to ask somebody to pray for you because you're a little bit too proud. I think another reason... We're a little bit tentative to ask people to pray for us is because we're kind of private. You know, you probably know some people who you, it feels like you know everything about them because they're not private. They tell you everything that's going on in their life. And we've got some friends that post stuff on Facebook and it's like, I don't ever have to see you again. I know everything about you. I know what time you woke up and what you had for breakfast. I know when your dog went to the bathroom and how many loads of laundry you did today. I know everything about you, Okay. So some people feel like there's no mystery to. Nothing wrong with that. But I think some of us are probably a little more private. And so we want to keep that to ourselves. Like maybe this is something that I just need to deal with on my own. And nobody else needs to know this. Not because I'm proud, just because I'm private. Here again, it's another good reason to take the risk. God didn't create us to be private believers. I mean, one of the beautiful things about gathering together is that this gets personal. Right? It gets personal. And so if it never gets personal, what's the point? 
What's the point of gathering under the same roof, singing praises to the same God, saying we're part of one faith, and yet we never take time to connect or relate to one another? What's the point? See, God intended for you and I, even though we're proud and private people, to take a little risk and to be personal. Be a little vulnerable. Be willing to ask somebody, hey, will you pray for me? One of the beautiful things about being connected to a church family is that you've got people who will go to the Lord on your behalf, fight for you, what it is that you're dealing with. All right, so that's one question. How long has it been since you've asked somebody to pray? Let's go one step further. Let's go to where Paul went. How long has it been since you've personally asked somebody to pray for you as you intend to share the gospel with somebody? So I've got a family member, neighbor, classmate, co-worker. This person I just met, my intention is to talk to them about Jesus this week. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, Will you pray for me because I'm going to share Jesus with this person? See, we share all sorts of prayer requests, don't we? What is it that we tend to share the easiest? Ma'am? Okay, and so we'll yeah, pray for the weather. We talk about the weather. What is it that we tend to say, will you pray about this for me? It's usually sickness, right? And so, and maybe if it's us, we're a little more prideful and or personal or private. But if it's somebody else, we don't hesitate. Pray for this person, they're having surgery. Pray for this person, they've got a disease that's starting to take their life. You know, pray for this person, they're struggling with whatever it is that's going on in their life. And so a lot of times when it's health-related, we don't have any issue whatsoever just saying, hey, will you pray for this? Like, absolutely. And by, we should. Right? By the way, we should be willing to pray for one another when things are not working right physically. Nothing wrong with that. Everything right about that. So don't hesitate. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying, though, the gospel life moves beyond health physically to health spiritually. Where we're concerned so much about a person in our family that we want you to pray for them as we intend to share the gospel with them. And I want you to pray for me this week because I'm going to talk to my neighbor. And I want you to pray for me this week because I'm going to share the gospel with a student or with a child or with my spouse. When's the last time you asked somebody to pray for you because you were planning to share the gospel that week? That's what Paul's prayer is here. And I love how he says it. He says, pray for me, pray for us, not because of my health, not because the Holy Spirit told me it's going to be hard everywhere I go. It's not about me. Pray that the gospel will get there and flourish. Pray that it will spread rapidly. That it will just take off just like it did here in Thessalonica with all you believers. That when I share and when we share the gospel, it will just spread like wildfire. See, a gospel life is consumed with the gospel. Therefore, a gospel life would never hesitate to say, hey, will you pray for me because I've got an opportunity to share the gospel this week. It would never hesitate to pull out a phone and send a text say, hey, listen, in about two minutes, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I'm having this conversation with a guy and it's going this direction and I'm going to share Christ with him. Will you just pray for me? See, a gospel-driven, gospel-compelled life here understands not what prayer is. Everybody said they know what prayer is and understands the importance of partnering with somebody else in prayer. You know, how awesome would it be if it was unplanned, you know, it's not scripted, it's not part of the order of service for us, that at the end of a service, just people started going to people. 
and you walked up to somebody and you said, hey, I know you're in a hurry. I need two minutes. This is what's going on in my life. And will you pray for me? There's a person in my life that doesn't know the Lord that I'm burdened about. I'm scared to talk to, but they need to hear what's true. And I want to talk to them. Will you pray for me? How awesome would it be if just little prayer huddles just broke out all over this facility? Where a culture of prayer just, it was who we are. I mean, it was in our DNA. We didn't just walk out and say, it's a pretty day, have a great week. But where we walked out saying, I, and I'm praying for you. You probably wouldn't even have to say anything. you just point at them. And you could wink at them and give a head nod. And they go, ah, oh, that's right. I asked them to pray and that's what they're doing. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, don't just do it because the pastor said so. All right? And I'm not asking you to do it at all. I'm just saying a gospel-centered life, a gospel life would never hesitate to say, pray for me as I intend to share the gospel. Or pray for me that I'll have a heart that wants to share the gospel. Pray for me. I don't know anybody to share the gospel with. And so we'll pray that God would lead me to somebody. You know, at our national convention this year, about three weeks ago, there was a man who stood up the, at the, one of the services and he was talking about his work. He's been a missionary for 60, 70 years, Carlisle Hanna. Missionary to India. And one of the statements he made in that little speech, in his little thought, it wasn't even a sermon, he wasn't even supposed to be speaking that long. Carlisle Hanna said this, I no longer know any heathen. I no longer know any heathen. What he's saying is, I've invested my life in the gospel, and where I live in India, every person has heard the gospel. There's not a relationship or a connection that I have that I've not talked to them about Christ. Thousands of people have heard, and he wasn't boasting or bragging, it was all because he was living a gospel life. How many heathen people that haven't heard the gospel do we know? Live beside, work with. Maybe they're in our own homes. What a convicting thought. I no longer know any heathen. Everybody in my world has heard, at least heard, not believed, but at least heard about the gospel. Pray, all right? It understands the importance of prayer. A gospel life wants people to know what's true. And so don't be afraid to ask, will you pray for me? On the flip side of that coin, you don't have to wait. You know, another great question to ask as it relates to partnering in prayer is, how can I pray for you? And so maybe this morning somebody will start to walk out of here and they say, have a great week. And maybe you'll stop them and you'll say, hey, wait a minute. How can I pray for you this week? One thing. What's one thing? How can I pray for you? See, if we start asking, how can I pray? And we start opening ourselves up saying, will you pray for me? We're going to start seeing this culture of prayer develop. Where it wouldn't just be an awesome thought, it'd be a reality. Where we would sit down and talk about praying and pray with one another just as easy as we would about who's on the mound today. And how many games behind we are and how much rain we've had and how the summer's coming to a close. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a part of a community where people are open and willing just to take that risk? Humbly ask. Move out of the private into the personal and say, hey, either pray for me or how can I pray for you? Paul understood living a gospel life requires us to partner in prayer. Don't just know what it is, but put it to work by praying with other believers. All right, secondly this morning, as we think about a gospel life, 
that's going to find its confidence in the faithfulness of God. A gospel life finds its confidence in the faithfulness of God. So how many of us have the ability to share the gospel? I keep saying the gospel. In simple terms, the gospel is that we were sinners separated from God and no hope of ourselves being reconnected with God. That's why God gave His Son Jesus to die on a cross and to be resurrected so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could have this relationship with God. And so in the gospel, real simple, you've got death, burial, resurrection of God. So that's always included, all right? We can get deeper talking about our own sin and things of that nature. Uh, but here we're going to say it finds its confidence in God. So how many of you have the ability to share the gospel? Okay, so we, we know the gospel. We've got a mind that can think somewhat clear. You know, maybe you wouldn't say it the way I did. That, that doesn't matter at all. Okay, matter of fact, don't say it the way I did. Don't say, go ask my pastor. Let's figure it out. And I'll help you understand if we want to understand. But let's relate the gospel from ourselves personally and make sure it's biblically based. But people want to hear it from you. What's your story? What's the gospel according to you as it's true to the Bible? And so we've got the ability. Now, how many of us have the ability to save somebody? None of us have that kind of power. And so we can learn about all the evidence on the planet. And we can memorize the Bible and be able to quote it in ways where people were just super impressed. And yet we're still just restricted in our ability to change a heart. None of us have the power to save. And so my confidence isn't in my ability. My confidence isn't in your ability. Our confidence lies in the ability of God. He's the one who can spread the gospel quickly like Paul prayed. He's the one who can make it flourish in the hearts of people. He's the one who can remove scales so people can actually see what's true and believe and be saved. See, the power of the gospel is that it convicts and that it converts. And so it's not about my ability. And so I can live here today with confidence knowing that my God is faithful to me and God will be faithful to his word. And he'll be faithful to bring about those, all those who will believe in him. And what we know to be true, and it seems like it's heightened now in our day, is that this doesn't come without a cost or that this doesn't come without opposition. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that they shut down because you started talking about Jesus? Right, that's, that's our day and age. It's always been that way, but we haven't always lived. So in our day and age, it's, it's the same. People shut it down just like they always have. People have been trying to discredit the Bible for years, like they're putting the nail in the coffin. This is why the Bible isn't true, and it's still living and active, changing people's lives. We live in a world that is against us, against the Christian. There is opposition. We live in a country where the Christian is marginalized, where we are now... Uh, a lot less than the majority. Okay? The Bible Belt is being shredded away, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But that's the country, that's the culture that we currently live in. And yet here Paul is saying we can have confidence as we face this world because of the faithfulness of God. He writes about this opposition first, though. In verse 2 he says, And let's pray that we may de be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Not everyone has faith. So there are people who've heard, they don't believe. There are people who've never heard, and obviously they would not believe. But not everyone who walks this planet has faith. And we probably don't have to look very far before we can find somebody to fit this category. Right? Somebody in your world that doesn't have faith, 
we definitely don't have to look very far in our country or around this world and we see that this is true. The gospels went out yet there's evil and wicked intentions all over the planet because people, not everyone, has faith. And so yes, there's opposition. But what Paul's saying here is that doesn't stop the forward movement of the gospel. You know, one step that Jesus never takes is a step back. One step God never takes, you know, we talk about let's take two steps forward and one step back or one step forward and two steps back. God never takes a step backwards. He's not like, uh-oh, we've got to change plans. We've got to shift directions. This isn't working. That's not how it goes with God. So the movement of the gospel is always going forward whether we see it or not. So do you have an enemy? Do you have an enemy to the gospel? Yeah, you do. We've got the devil. We've got all sorts of people who have not faith. Okay, everyone doesn't have faith. Do you have an ally? All right, and your ally is, all right, is God the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. We've got this ally in God. And our God, our ally, has promised us that he will be faithful. But the Lord is what? The Lord is faithful. Okay, and look what he'll do in his faithfulness. He will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. And so Paul knew some things about a gospel life. Confrontation will come. Opposition will come. Maybe even in your own home. Probably within your own family. There are people who don't want to hear it and they'll stand against you and they'll talk about how I can tell you there is no God. And here's their evidence. And because of that, they're living their life as though there is no God. And we've got all sorts of connections with people who live this way. He was talking about opposition and confrontation, but he also says here, don't worry and so I'm not going to worry because my God is faithful. And so there's where my confidence lies. Paul will go on in verse 4. We're not going to read it here. But in verse 4 he says, My confidence is in the Lord for you, you Thessalonians. Because I believe that you'll continue to follow what God is prodding in your heart. So my confidence isn't in you. My confidence is in the Lord. It's in his faithfulness because he's the one who will strengthen and he's the one who, who will protect. Wasn't it Jesus who said, don't fear the one who can harm the body? All right? Anybody afraid of terrorism? ISIS? And we talk about, you know, it's going to come in, it's going to take over, and all of a sudden, it's just, you know, as Christians, sometimes we can just huddle up and be terrified people. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. If somebody takes my life, all that does for me it just ushers me in through the doorway to my eternity. I'm not done. I just get to step into where my father is in a more vivid picture. And it's going to happen for every one of us, isn't it? This is taking a real south turn, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, how many people on the planet from the 1700s are still here, living? Nobody. All right? Any of the apostles still walking around? You know, demonstrating great power through gifts. No, these guys, they're long gone. And so if Jesus tarries his return, there's going to be people in a hundred years who are going to say the same thing about us. Remember those people who were born back in the 1900s? Man, they are long gone. Some of you are born in the 2000s. Right? They're long gone. That's just how it works. And so Jesus says, don't fear those who can hurt you. Right? And don't be afraid of what's going on in your world. Rather, have confidence in your God who is faithful. And so we need to speak this over one another. You find yourself struggling? 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3, The Lord is faithful. 
and he'll strengthen you. And so maybe today when you walk out and you say to somebody, well, you pray this for me, your response to them could be, hey, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, go home and memorize it. Your God, he's going to be faithful to you and he's going to strengthen you. It's his promise, not mine. Well, I'm scared. All sorts of things in this world that just terrify me. Okay, the Lord is faithful and he will protect you from the evil one. Now, that doesn't mean you receive Christ and you get this holy bubble around you that can never be penetrated. Life can be taken from us. But it's just the physical. It's just temporary. Right? Nobody can touch my soul. And so he's faithful. And no one can touch me unless it's the Lord's timing. The Lord's allowance. And so he's faithful. He'll strengthen you and he will protect you. So knowing that should breed some confidence in me. I can walk out of here not terrified, not scared, but bold and confident because my Lord is faithful. And third and last this morning as it relates to living a gospel life here. A gospel life is filled with the love of God and the patience of Christ. A gospel life is somebody who's filled with the love of God and the patience of Christ. And listen, both of these are necessary if we're going to live the gospel life. Wasn't it Paul? Let's just flip there for a minute. This isn't on the wall. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 is often quoted as the, the love chapter. Okay? So if you're there, this isn't on the wall. And I apologize, but 1 Corinthians 13, it's kind of good to hear pages flip though as well. Verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Okay? So I can have this role where I'm doing the right things but if it's not compelled by the love of God Paul says it gains what? Nothing. It's of no avail. It's of no effort. It's of no real worth. And so here we're talking about initially a gospel life is filled with the love of God not necessarily filled with guilt to do something. Anybody show up today because you felt guilty? I know it's Sunday and I'm a Christian and Christians go to church and pastor said here a few weeks ago he doesn't know why anybody on the planet would ever skip a Sunday and I heard that so I should be there. So sometimes we walk in guilty. Our alarm clock goes off because we're guilty. We get dressed because we're guilty. And we walk in here and we sit here maybe not even wanting to be here but because this is what Christians do and we feel guilty. We're compelled by guilt. What we're missing is the gospel life. We become distracted. We've bought a lie that doing something good earns me some kind of favor or recognition with God. It's just a bunch of garbage. Right? And if that's where you find yourself, then all that means is we've got some work to do there. Right? Because the gospel should wake me up. Remember, basketball is life? No, no, no. Gospel is life. Remember, it's why we breathe. It's why we get up. It's why we move. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's why we do it. So we need to be filled with the love of God here in the patience of Christ. And let's read this again. Verse 5, 2 Thessalonians 3 says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. 
You know what I love that this verse doesn't say? This verse doesn't say, go figure out how to love God. That would be horrible. Go figure out a way to love God more than you love anything. Just figure it out. That would be miserable. What Paul writes and says here is, may the Lord direct your hearts to love God and to be filled with this love of God and to persevere with the perseverance of Christ. So if you're sitting here today and you find yourself guilt-driven, there's hope for you. There's grace. And so what do I need to do to move from guilt to grace? What do I need to do to move from I have to do this as a Christian as is I love to do this. I'm compelled by love. If God directs my heart, I need to pray. Ask the Lord. God, turn my heart to love you. Increase my desire for your word. Increase my desire for your work. Help me understand how much you have loved me. Not just here, but here. May it penetrate what I know to who I am. So that when I walk in, when I wake up, I'm compelled by, filled with, this love of God. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And so this is the love that will fill me and this is the love that should also compel me. And I'm so thankful it's not just about us. We've got a role to play, yes. But my primary role in developing my love for the things that God loves is asking God to do so. Change my heart. Change my love. Change what I desire. And so we just need to ask. We need to pursue. And here we're also being told that as we walk this life in opposition, may the Lord direct you to have the perseverance of Christ, to have the patience of Christ, to continue on even in the face of opposition. You know, Paul wrote there in uh, one of those verses in uh, 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 3, he talked about let's not grow tired and weary to the point of quitting. When you think about Jesus, often he went into cities and people didn't listen. His own family wouldn't buy it. That's hard. So did Jesus quit? Did he throw in the towel? Did he say, Father, this is just too hard. These people aren't listening. They're stubborn. They're stiff-necked. They're hard-hearted. I'm trying to show them the way and they don't want anything to do with it. Let's just throw in the towel. No. Christ persevered. He continued and he continued and he continued. Yes, he had conversations with the Father. Is there a different way to do this? But it was never, can I get out of this? It's still, let's get this done. He was always about seeing it through. Always about finishing. Never about quitting. Have you ever wanted to quit following the Lord? Maybe you have quit somewhere along the way. Just not what I thought it was. It wasn't turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I got hurt by some people, and so I just said, I'm sick of it. I'll see Jesus when I see him. You know, one of the most backward statements that a person could ever utter is, I love Jesus. I just hate the church. What? And yet people say it all the time. That's one of the reasons why they don't come. I love Jesus. I just don't love people. People have hurt me. Okay. That's called reality. Broken people hurt people. It just happens. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it comforting. But it's true. Okay? The minute you and I start hurting one another is when? 
It's when we're ushered through the doorway of heaven. Until then, man, I still got a sin nature that I got to battle. Through the Spirit, through the power of the Word of God, I'll overcome. But sometimes I succumb. Broken people break people. Here we're to be filled with the love of Christ and the patience or the perseverance of, of Christ as well. So it's the idea that I'm going to press on, keep on. I'm going to stay the course even though it's hard, even though there's opposition. Just as my Savior persevered, I can persevere as well. So I need to hear that. We need to speak that to one another. Again, that's one of the beautiful things about being connected with other believers. So we're talking here about a gospel life. And what we've talked about is that to live this life requires us to be connected in prayer. As we trust God to be faithful, knowing that he'll supply a love for him and a patience or an ability to persevere through whatever it is that we're dealing with. A gospel life doesn't quit. It continues. A gospel life doesn't get concerned, or doesn't get worried and afraid about what's going on in the world. It finds comfort in the fact that God's faithful. And a gospel life is willing to say, hey, will you pray for me? Or it's willing to ask, how can I pray for you? And so as we begin to close here, I just want to ask you a, a question to get started. Are you a follower of Jesus, number one? By follower of Jesus, I mean, have you realized that you are a sinful person? Has God helped you see that? Have you seen that God didn't just leave you sinful, but he gave his son Jesus to die for yours and my sins? And have you asked Jesus in repentance to be your Savior? The Bible makes very clear, whoever asks this of the Lord, he will save. God wants to save everybody, and that includes you. Jesus died for all, and that includes you. We've got to receive him as our Savior. Maybe today you'd like to do so by repenting of your sin and asking Jesus to, to save you. Maybe you would say, well, I am saved. Well, then I, I want to ask you where we've talked about today mostly. Are you living the gospel life? I mean, if these were three boxes to check off, could you go check, check, check? I'm sharing my life with people, asking them to pray for me, and I'm asking how can I pray for them. I'm walking around with boldness because my God's faithful. He's not some little timid lion cub. This little sheep. He's this roaring lion. He's faithful. And so I don't have to be intimidated. I don't have to be afraid. Are you walking around? Can you check that box? Do you find yourself filled with love of God? Are you persevering or have you quit somewhere? I'm not going to share my faith anymore. It's just too hard. I'm just going to settle into, I guess this is how God wants me to live rather than constantly asking, God, what do you want for my life today? You know, could you check those three boxes? If not, somewhere it means we've just become distracted. It means my deepest commitment and affection is steered somewhere else for right now. So I know what prayer is. I'm just not going to ask you to pray and I'm not going to ask how can I pray for you. I know God's faithful, but I will look around the world, I'm scared. And I know God, he's the one that does all things, but I feel like I've got to do something myself. And so I'm kind of leaving him out of the equation rather than asking him to fill me. Preserve me. 
Now today we've been reminded why we're here. The gospel is life, not just on a Sunday. It's all day, every day. So would you say the gospel wakes you up? Is it why you work hard, study hard? Is it why you love hard? Is it why you give freely? And the gospel is to drive everything we do, church. So I'm just asking, are you living a gospel life?